Matthew chapter 24. <clears throat> and this morning we'll be focusing on verses 43 through verse 51. Matthew 24, uh, verse 43 through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Once again, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Surely I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of the servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and will cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May the Lord truly bless this word as we now look to him in prayer. Gracious God in heaven, we do praise you and thank you for your holy word. We thank you for its truth, that it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we've been considering these teaching of the Lord Jesus regarding uh, the end times and the signs of the times, we just pray, Father, that you would help us to understand the truth that is here for us, and how we can apply these things to our hearts even today, so that we might truly live for your glory, to be those faithful and wise servants. So we ask now for your blessing upon your holy word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Well, there are many Christians who get caught up in end times theology, or what we call eschatology. And if you run into these people, all they want to do is study the book of Revelation, and they want to study Bible prophecy, and they are trying to unravel all the mysteries of God's Word having to do with the return of Christ. And they look to various charts and diagrams and books and even movies, hoping to find that secret key that unlocks all these mysteries. Now it's not too far off to say that they're really obsessed with the end times as they constantly try to uh, even impose current events into the prophecies of Scripture using what they see on the news as the rule for interpreting God's Word. But with so much focus on the end times and trying to solve mysteries that God hasn't revealed, well, the temptation to lose sight of how we're to live in the here and now becomes all the greater. 
Indeed, it's quite, quite possible that their obsession with seeking to know what they can't know could actually lead them to being totally unprepared and caught off guard when the end does come and Jesus returns at the end of the age. Now, Jesus has already made it clear that no one knows the day or the hour of His return. No one knows because God hasn't revealed it. But what He has revealed is that we ought to always be ready and prepared for the return of Christ. And to do that means that we're to not only be wise to the signs that the Lord has told us to look out for, but that we must also be faithful in doing what He's called us to do. Loving Him first and foremost, but also loving our neighbors as ourselves. In our passage this morning, Jesus continues to reinforce the need for His disciples and for us to to truly be vigilant and watchful. But He also emphasizes our need to be prepared. Not just in knowledge, but also in heart in the manner of our living. Now, having just told the disciples plainly that no one knows the day or the hour of His return, Jesus gives now an, an illustration to further reinforce this need for watchfulness. Telling them that there is something that they do know. In verse 43, But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure no one here wants their homes to be broken into. But if it was going to happen, and you actually had the information as to when the thief was going to come, even a a general window of time, well then you obviously would keep watch and make sure that the thief wasn't successful. This would seem to be basic common sense. If you knew with all certainty when, well then you would certainly be prepared. In fact, you wouldn't even have to to stay up all night. You could just set your alarm and go to bed and then get up just before the appointed time that the thief arrived and then you could stop him. You would do what you could to protect yourself, your family, and your possessions. But here's the thing. Thieves usually don't make appointments and tell you when they're going to arrive to rob your home. In fact, they do all they can to keep it a secret. And they, when they break in, they try to do it quietly, often under the cover of darkness. They don't want you to know when they're coming because they know that you would then try to stop them. They don't want to be stopped. So the element of surprise is the trick of the trade for the thief. Now we should note here that the illustrate this illustration that Jesus uses uh, becomes really the basis which Paul and then later Peter uh, would draw upon when they speak of Jesus' return at the end of the age being like a thief in the night. Jesus isn't coming to necessarily steal anything, but it's using this imagery. And so, for example, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And then Paul goes on to charge that they ought to then be ready and prepared for the coming of the Lord. 
Well, then in 2 Peter 3, Peter uses the same imagery, saying, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. But Peter's emphasis is on the suddenness of Christ's return. Well, here, Jesus is emphasizing both of these aspects. Right? A thief comes suddenly, without warning, and so you ought to be prepared so you and your family are safe. Likewise, Jesus will return on the last great day suddenly and without warning, and so you ought to be prepared so that your soul is kept safe from the judgment that he would bring. And in the case they miss this connection, Jesus states it plainly once again in verse 44, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Now there's three things to note about what Jesus says here. First, he gives the disciples a direct charge. He says, be ready. Now he'll elaborate on this more shortly, but the repeated emphasis on being ready should tell us that this is what we need to be focusing our time and our energy on. Right? Not speculations about when Jesus will return or some secret code hidden in the Scriptures or, or blood moons or where we might find the United States in biblical prophecy. These pursuits are vain and foolish. And they simply distract us from being truly ready. Readiness is so critical, in fact, that not only will Jesus illustrate it with a parable at the end of uh, chapter 24 here, but he's got two more parables in chapter 25 that have this idea of readiness as the key theme. And so we ought to be ready at all times when Jesus comes because we don't know when he's coming. Well, this leads to the second point we should see here is Jesus reminds the disciples that he, the Son of Man, is truly coming. Just because we don't know when he's coming, and just because it seems as though there's been a a great delay, and there's been a 2,000 year delay at this point in his coming, it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't coming at all. No, he most certainly is coming. And he assures the disciples of this fact here and in numerous other places in the Gospels. He will return one day. He will return as the righteous judge of all the earth. Well, thirdly, Jesus warns not only should you be ready at all times because you don't know when the Son of Man is coming, but he says he'll be coming at an hour that you don't expect. But when would we expect Jesus to come? Oftentimes we think of of certain events in history, especially uh, disastrous events. Indeed, many people thought uh, the First World War was the war to end all wars. Right, and that they, they believe many believe, people believe that surely this was going to usher in the return of Christ, and it seemed that way. Because all the world was at war. And many expected it, but it never came. And then, of course, it wasn't that much longer. 10 to 15 years later, we had World War II. Or we can also consider our own time. And as we'll see, we look around all that's going on in the world, in our nation, in our culture, and it's rebellion against God. We wonder... 
well, surely we are near the end. In fact, things are so bad. And at least from my perspective, it seems that things are, are worse than, than I could ever remember in my life up to this point. And so we may expect that this is when Jesus will return. But that seems too obvious. It's possible, but let's not obsess about it. Because He'll come at a time that we don't expect. He'll come at a time we don't know. It's not been revealed to us. So there's no point in obsessing about it. Besides, if Jesus was to return, even in our own generation, how ready and prepared are we? How ready and prepared are we in our own hearts and lives? How prepared is the broader church? Well, this seems to be part of the lesson that Jesus gives. Because we're not prepared. At least not as we ought to be. The sudden unpredictableness of Christ's return is in some ways a part of the test for the church. As much as it is for the rest of mankind. And we think about people out there in the world being unprepared. But indeed, there are many here, even in the church, who are unprepared. Unprepared because though they, they outwardly profess faith in Christ, inwardly, their hearts aren't right with God. And they're not faithful in doing what the Lord has called them to do. And this becomes the point of the parables of the two servants that Jesus now shares in verses 45 to 51. <clears throat> he begins in verse 45, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? <clears throat> so the scenario here is, uh, is of a master of a house, uh, landowner. He has several household servants. And he's going to be going on a trip. And so he charges one servant to manage the household and see that everything else is taken care of, including all the other servants. Here, do this while I'm away and be responsible. Now this was a common practice of the time where lead servants were tasked with great responsibility if the master was, was going to be traveling and was going to be gone for a while. Obviously, the master would want uh, this servant that he puts in charge to be reliable, to be faithful in the duties, and also to be wise in their management of the household, again, which includes the other servants. Now, some consider whether Jesus is here specifically referring to the disciples, and of course, by extension, future leaders of the church who are tasked with shepherding and caring for the flock of God until Christ returns. Well, this is a very possible application. But it doesn't have to be so restricted. Because we know that all believers are tasked with duties in service to Christ. And that when He returns, He'll be looking for faithfulness and wisdom in all His people. Not just in those whom He has pointed as leaders in the church. But back to the parable... The master is expecting the servant placed in charge to be faithful and wise. 
faithfulness to the particular tasks and responsibilities given, that is, managing the household. And as we said, uh, this includes making sure that other servants not only do their tasks, but also that they're provided for, that they're given their, their pay, or they're given their, their food. Here we can think of the many tasks that Christ has given to the church specifically and believers in general. The call to live holy and righteous lives and pursue personal godliness. The carrying out of the great commission and sharing the gospel with others. And even loving our neighbors as ourselves. Serving them and ministering to them in the name of Christ. We're called to be faithful and with these and other spiritual tasks. But wisdom is also required. And here wisdom would appear to be not only knowing that the master will return one day, but always being ready for when he does come. This means being watchful both night and day and making sure nothing is neglected so that the master can, can come home to a proper welcome. Now for us and for the return of Christ, again, it means that we be vigilant and alert at what's going on around us. right? Knowing the difference between the signs of His coming and the signs that merely show that we live in a fallen and sinful world and that the end is, that we're on that trajectory heading toward the end. Wisdom also to know the difference between what we can know and what we can't what God has revealed, and what He hasn't. Wisdom that He is surely coming, just as He promised, and that we ought not to get discouraged at any delay. Beloved God, this is a test for us and for the church. Are we truly ready and prepared for Christ's return? Are we being faithful and exercising such wisdom? Well, Jesus continues the parable by setting forth two possible options in answer to that opening question, who then is a faithful and wise servant? First is the blessed servant, or at least he will be blessed by the master upon his return. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. So doing what? Well, faithfully and wisely ruling over the master's household and caring for all the other servants. In other words, he's doing what the master charged him to do. He's taken to heart the commands and the wishes of the master and he's made sure that they're all accomplished. He'll be blessed because when the master returns, he won't find the servant slacking off, distracted, or even hurriedly trying to get everything uh, done before the master's arrival, as those might be prone to procrastinate. No, because he was wise. He was wise, and he knew the master could return at any time. And so he was vigilant and watchful to see that nothing and no one fell behind. And so every day he diligently carried out all that his master expected. And he did so as if his master was there watching over him, even though the master wasn't there. Brothers and sisters, this is the challenge for us as well. To be found faithfully and wisely doing what the Lord has called us to do when he returns. 
Again, not getting distracted with useless debates and speculations, not pursuing our own pleasures and comforts, but seeking to do all we do to the glory of God, just as He's called us to do. Just as the servant seriously considered the responsibility he was given, so too we ought to seriously consider our responsibility. And daily strive to be faithful in all these things as we rely on the all-sufficient grace of God to do so. And we know we won't be perfect, but the Lord desires that we be faithful and that we be wise in serving and obeying His commands as we patiently await the return of Christ. But there's another possibility, another kind of servant that might be revealed when the Master returns. Jesus identifies him clearly as that evil servant in verse 48. Well, what makes him evil? First, he's careless and he's not watchful. He deceives himself and he ponders within his heart, well, my master is delaying his coming. That is, well, he's, he's going on this long trip and he's going to be gone for a long time. You know, I've got plenty of time to, to get all the work done that needs to get done before he comes. This is time to kick back and relax and to have some fun. I've got no one ordering me around. In fact, I'm the one in charge. So I can do anything that I want. It's the proverbial, when the cat's away, the mice will play. But not only is he careless, he not only doesn't do what the master charged him to do, but he does just the opposite. And so instead of caring for the other servants, he begins to beat and abuse them, revealing yet another layer of wickedness. He's mistreating his fellow servants. And he begins carousing, eating and drinking with drunkards. And the assumption here is that he's not using his own food and and wine for this prodigal living. But he's using the resources that belong to the master. And so he's actually stealing what belongs to the master. And so this evil servant will be in for a big surprise when the master returns. Because again, the master will come at an hour he doesn't expect and will find him mired in sin and irresponsibility with nothing having gotten done. Brothers and sisters, this is the one who, though they may profess to be a servant of the Lord, they openly disregard God's law. And they live their lives as if they won't one day have to give an account. And not only this, but they even mock and persecute those who seek to be faithful. Sadly, there are many filling church pews even today who are living in this condition of ungodliness, whether it's known or unknown to others around them. They're not being faithful. They're not doing the Father's will or loving Jesus by keeping His commandments. Their only concern is living for the moment and pursuing their own pleasures and lusts, foolishly thinking, I'm going to have plenty of time to get ready before Jesus returns. They're fools. In fact, they're still in bondage to their sin. 
and they're still in bondage to their sin, well then they won't be ready. Because they don't know when the Lord will return. Indeed, Jesus will come, or more likely, they will die at a time they didn't expect. And suddenly their time and their opportunity to clean themselves up will be gone. So what will happen when the Master returns in either situation? When He finds either servant faithfully doing or not doing what He's commanded? Well, for the faithful and wise servant, he'll receive his just reward, a, a blessing from the master. Verse 47, Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. And the assuredly makes it certain. Since he was faithful with a few things, the master will bless him with even greater responsibility, putting the servant in charge of all his goods. Likely not only just the household, but maybe the, managing the business and the farm and the vineyard or whatever it may be. Well, this translates to a position of great honor and respect for the servant. And here we can think of the example of Joseph, who was given such an honor, being a second only to Pharaoh and having charge over all of Egypt. Likewise, the faithful servant of the Lord will be richly blessed, not with merely earth or mere earthly rewards, but eternal heavenly rewards, which the Lord freely bestows upon his beloved children. Indeed, the one who has trusted in Christ with a sincere heart and relies on the grace of God to carry out the Father's will, daily seeking to strive after godliness, faithfully serving and being a witness to others through both word and deed, the one who pursues these things, giving glory to God in everything, this faithful and wise one will be richly rewarded when Jesus returns at the end of the age. But what of the evil servant? The one who despised his master and did everything contrary to the master's commands. Because he doesn't know when the master will return. The master will come when he doesn't expect and he will catch him in his irresponsibility. And the punishment Jesus describes here is quite severe. Verse 51, And will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now the cutting in two isn't necessarily literal, especially since he appoints them with the hypocrites. That is, those who are divided within themselves, professing one thing outwardly, but then inwardly there's something totally different. In other words, the evil servant will be exposed as the hypocrite that he is. And his judgment will be severe. And the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth pictures both great unending sorrow as well as torment. Which is why it's often a description given of eternal judgment in the flames of hell. Indeed, this is the end for the one who claims Christ as Savior, but who rejects Him as Lord and continues in sin and lawlessness. Foolishly thinking that he'll have plenty of time to, to clean up his act before he dies or before Christ returns. But since death often comes at a time that we don't expect, and Christ will return at an hour that we don't know, 
such a hypocrite will be found unprepared and will be cast away with the unrighteous into the eternal flames. And so these are the two servants, the two possibilities, and their two ends. Which brings us back to the question Jesus first introduced this parable with. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? The question is very probing, even personal, for the disciples and even for us. Who is the faithful and wise servant? Who is the one who will be found faithful when Jesus the Master returns in power and glory at the end of the age? Who is the one who will be wise as to the time knowing with all certainty that Christ will return, but not letting the delay in His coming be a distraction, keeping Him from faithfully serving Christ? Who is the one who won't be so caught up in the foolishness of trying to decipher the mysteries which God hasn't revealed. Who is the faithful and wise servant? Beloved of God, is it you? Do you strive to be faithful in doing the Lord's will day in and day out as you patiently await His return? Are you vigilant? Keeping watch and living a life of always being ready and prepared for Christ's return and glory? These are the questions that you ought to consider. Sincerely, even in your hearts. Even now. How would Jesus, your Savior, the one who gave His life for you and and died for you on the cross for your sins, how will He find you when He returns? Truly, may He find each of you resting in His all-sufficient grace and faithfully doing His will all to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we praise You and thank You for this important reminder that You call us to be faithful in serving You. And again, we acknowledge we're, we're not going to be perfect. We're going to fall short. But you desire a true and sincere heart that relies upon your grace daily to seek to do your will, not our own will, but to do your will, to serve you, to glorify you in all things. That is what you desire. And you also desire that we would be wise. That we would be wise to the times in which we live. That we would be wise to foolish speculations. And turn away from such useless debates. <clears throat> that we would be wise to not be distracted from the duty which you have called us to do. To serve you. To be faithful witnesses. To love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbors as ourselves. Father, we pray that when you return, and we don't know when that will be, 
that you would truly find us faithful. And that if your coming again is to be delayed beyond our lifetime, we pray that even through our last breaths on this earth, that our hearts would be truly set upon you and that our lives would be committed to serving you and glorifying you as you have called us. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Help us to be wise. Help us to glorify your holy name. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would truly help us to even now probe these questions in our own hearts. That we'd all be drawn closer to you. We pray for your blessing upon us in these things. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.